0: Well, today I just think it's so fitting that Brother West is with us and he's sharing with us this opportunity to uh, connect and be a blessing to internationals. I don't know if you know, but your pastor's an international. And uh, he he had to, the, the foreign language he had to learn was English. And it was highly complicated. The verdict is still out on how complicated it is in my mind. It's still a difficult deal. But uh, I believe in it. I believe that the church needs to be embracing towards internationals. And, uh, I believe that you can change the world with just grace, gentleness, kindness, and just an invite. So uh, I just think it's so fitting. You know, this today, I wanted to finish the series that we had, um, I Value. Um, and we've been going through the values of the church. wanted to take January to basically talk about the things that we value, because what we value basically means... Uh, it's going to affect what we do as a church not only here in our services but what we're trying to do or or how we make disciples and so we've said that we value the presence of god number one the first thing it's if god's not in it we don't want anything to do with it right we value the presence of god and that means that when we get together we actually believe that god's with us and we're more interested in hearing him than hearing sermons or songs right we want to hear him and so we come with anticipation saying lord speak, do your will. We have this deal in encountering God, embracing destiny. What's that about? We believe that when we actually are in the presence of God, we sense that we're in the presence of God, that God speaks to us and he gives us clarity for life. Kind of like the burning bush, right? God spoke to Moses. He encountered the glory of God and then he was called to do something. We don't just want the goosebumps of the presence we want the calling of the presence of God, right? <laughs> right? Uh, those things go connected. You can't have one without the other. And so we value the presence of God. We talked about valuing the Word of God. We value the Word of God. And we, number one, we focus on why we believe the Bible to be the Word of God. And we, we gave reasons for why we believe that. And then the next week, we talked about how to, how to read the Word How to encounter the word, not just know about the word, but have a relationship with God where we feel like incarnationally this word is coming alive to us. We believe that the Bible is not just a book bound in leather pages or on your iPad or on your iPhone or whatever it may be. It's not just words. We believe it's living word. So as believers, when we read the Word, we should read the Word to get something from God, to hear from God, to to have a relationship with Him, to have communion with Him, that coffee talk that we need to have with Him. It's vital as believers that we learn to hear from God. Amen? It's God's desire. So we talked about how to read the Bible, and we talked about a way to do devotions and so forth, and we kind of uh, dove into a little bit of that. That's, That's a big part of being a disciple. Being a disciple is hearing Jesus can't be a disciple if we're not hearing his word obeying his commands and so we talked about how that's the beginning of the great commission it's being a disciple i can't make a disciple if i'm not a disciple i can't tell someone to follow jesus if i'm not following jesus myself it's not effective ministry so uh, i wanted to finish today to talking about fellowship the need for fellowship the need for biblical fellowship and um I really believe that um, this is one of the reasons why the church in America is weak, the lack of genuine fellowship. But, But I will say that when I say the church in America, I'm not saying the church in America, I'm saying the church in America. I'm saying all of us, right? What is it about fellowship that we need to get right? What is it about fellowship that we're getting wrong? What is it about covenant and accountability and connected and commitment to church? Um, that that is affecting us, and I I, I think uh, it's a vital message. I can't finish with that today. That sermon you'll hear on Wednesday. For those who are here today, I like to welcome each and every one of you to join me. Take take this Wednesday. Make make that make it a point to be here Wednesday night, seven o'clock. We'll finish the series on the values this Wednesday. Next week we start the story, and I I don't want to mess with that schedule because so many of us are so prepared. But I believe this Wednesday is perfect. To be able to talk about that topic today, as I was preparing and hoping that I could dive into fellowship, God did one of those things where it's like, you know, I know you got this schedule, but there's like this thing I want to (laughs) say, right? It's like I know uh, I still want to talk about the Great Commission, and uh, I want to share with you some principles about the Great Commission. I felt the Lord wanted me to dive deeper into that studying wise, and and we talked about the Great Commission with Bill. Schrader being here last week, and he shared with us his call into the mission field in Peru, and that's wonderful. We talked about the Great Commission from a sense of us being disciples and and learning how to hear the Word of God. But what we need to talk about is the Great Commission as a lifestyle. That's what I believe the Lord wants us to pay attention to. How do we live our lives, in a sense, with the Great Commission not being an assignment, but being a part of our lifestyle, a part of who we are? Not something on the the to-do list, but a part of our DNA. What does it look like to have a lifestyle that is welcoming, that is impacted, that is marked by the Great Commission? So we value the presence of God. We value the Word of God. And we value the Great Commission. Now, as we look at the Scripture that way, let's go to Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to read... Those simple verses, simple but extremely deep and weighed with a lot of revelation for us this morning. The Bible says this, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 on down. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age, even to the end of the age. Thank you for your word. We, we plead, we beg for your anointing, God, to declare it and to hear it and to live it, Lord. Reveal yourself to us, God. We want to hear from you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Interesting here we find Jesus back in Galilee. Galilee, the region where Jesus did most of his miracles, the region where his disciples walked mostly with Jesus, The region where I bet each and every one of those disciples had an encounter with Jesus in a very special and unique and independent way to them. Matthew writes this gospel in such a way where he takes uh, Jesus' ministry beginning in Galilee, uh, going forward towards Jerusalem and here after the resurrection ending back in Galilee. Jesus risen from the grave, there he is with his disciples. Matthew, the tax collector, by the way, hated by Jews, chosen by God to re- write the gospel that would make most sense to Jews. The irony of God is amazing, isn't it? But here is Jesus, he is with his disciples, and he begins to speak to them in Galilee, where it all began, right? And he says to them important things that you and I need to pay attention to. First he says, all authority And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, it's very important that we understand this. Jesus was there with God before the creation of the world. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, 14 through 16, I believe it says, The world was created by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. And we know that when Jesus did ministry, he had a level of authority, right? Did he not say, Lazarus, come forth? Did he not did he not say, Talitakum, to the little girl who was dead and she rose from her death? Did he not heal so many? Absolutely. There was a level of authority. Yet Ephesians says that there was a level of authority that he did let go of in order to come and reach us. Why did we need to be reached? Because the Bible clearly says that our sin sickness has disrepaired us. It has destroyed us. It has separated us from God. And that sin sickness is so grave that even if we wanted to make it right, we couldn't make it right. So we needed divine intervention. So God through his son came here on earth. He died for our sins to make right what we made wrong and couldn't make right even if we wanted to. And here Jesus speaks of this authority that he has to his disciples. And he says, boys, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And as he takes this authority, he makes this declaration of authority. It's very important. Authority comes with responsibility, right? And as he's given this authority, he begins to take that. He takes that authority and he delegates responsibility. And he says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go make disciples of all the nations. Go make disciples. I want you to think about that with me. Here's Jesus. He declares that he has authority. He uses that authority to delegate responsibility. The first thing he calls his subjects to do, go make disciples. Here they are back in the region of Galilee where Jesus spent most of the time with his disciple, where his ministry was most successful, where they saw incredible miracles. And there Jesus said to them, in other words, everything that I did for you in this last three and a half years, the way that I loved you, the way that I served you, the way that I washed your feet, the way that I moved in power, the way that I sent you to move in power, the way that I fed the way that I ministered, everything you've seen in me in this last three and a half years, go do the same for others. Go make disciples. It's not like the disciples were going to go and find some other recourse or some other study to know how to make disciples. Jesus wasn't speaking to them about something that was foreign to them. This is the way they lived for three and a half years. Jesus is basically saying, Carlos, you see see the way that I've been teaching you and training you and equipping you? Great. Take that. Go give it to so-and-so. Go make disciples. And again, we talked about this before. Jesus is basically telling his disciples, take all of the investment that I've made in you and invest in others. Go make... That's discipleship. That's discipleship. Then it goes a little bit deeper, though, because Jesus... Ministry was now going to extend in a whole different way. Jesus' ministry in the flesh was coming to an end, but Jesus' ministry in his church was just beginning. And as that ministry was beginning, he said to them, go and make disciples not only to the lost sheep of Israel that we see Jesus basically staying within the region of Israel, not only to the lost sheep of Israel, but Jesus says, go make disciples of all the nations. Now I want you to pay attention to this. Because we as a church I think that we are more internationally welcoming. I hope so, I pray so. I I certainly pray so. And and I believe that, you know, in, in America it may be easier for us to talk about these things, but some of us maybe not. But let's let's be understanding of what was happening here. Jesus is talking to ethnocentric Jews. Telling them, get out of your region and go to a place you don't want to go and go make disciples of all the nations. I want you to love them. I want you to serve them. I want you to dine with them. I want you to feed them. I want you to care for them just like I've cared for you. Go. (laughs) That's incredibly huge. I mean, let's talk about how cultural-centric, how focused on their own selves uh, the Jews were. Remember, they had reason to be. They were the chosen of God. They had the true living God. The revelation came to the Jews first. So they felt they were all that in a bag of chips, right? So in the process of that, they were quite okay with keeping to themselves, So much so that even when Jesus is ministering in in Samaria to the Samaritans, there's a point where the Samaritans are not happy that Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And the disciples say to Jesus, "Uh, can we call fire from heaven to consume all these heathens? They don't like them. They don't even like that Jesus is talking to them. And they can't wait. It's almost like, yes, this is our opportunity. Can we call for fire on their lives? And Jesus says, you don't have the heart of God you don't have the mind of god you don't know what you're asking for it's almost as if he's saying <laughs> wait till Matthew 28 you won't believe what I'm about to tell you to do <laughs> right and so they were so ethnocentric and Jesus tells them get out of your borders get out of your comfort zone and i want you to go live your life your entire your entire life strategically Reaching out to those who don't belong. Then. He says something that we need to hear really clearly is this. In God calling us to go or in God calling his disciples to go. He's clearly saying this. Don't wait for them to come to you. Don't wait for them to come through the doors of the church. Don't wait for them to just come to a service. Don't wait for them to just come to your region. You know, when Solomon prayed, when Solomon prayed, uh, he basically prayed, God, if if the heathen will come to uh, Israel and they prayed to you in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, he said, if the heathen comes to uh, Jerusalem and pray to you, then answer their prayers so that you would, they would know that you're the living God. It's a prayer that says, when the heathen come, then reveal yourself. Well, God's saying, no, I don't want the heathen to come. I want you to go to the heathen. Not that he doesn't want that. You understand? I want you to go. Don't wait for them to come. There's no time for you to wait. I want you to go. So clearly, Jesus is calling disciples to spend their lives reaching out to those who need to hear the good news. Then he says, Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he begins to describe this reality of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Baptism here is not a baptism of repentance, but more so a, a baptism of consecration. And consecration means being set apart for the purposes of God. And being set apart for the purposes of God is what we call being holy. It means now that we are no longer living for our own purpose. We're not, only living, we're not living anymore for our, our agenda, but we're living for the purposes of God. If I needed to have work on my heart. I needed to go to a cardiologist, and I need a surgery done on me. I hope that the surgeon uses a scalpel he just didn't use on so-and-so in the next room without sanitizing it. Anybody with me? I hope he wasn't using that scalpel to cut some pieces of pork chops, right? I I just want to know that that little knife has been separated only for my purposes. Are you with me? And so in the same way, when we come to baptism, it's not just a supernatural declaration of what God has done. It's a declaration of what we commit to. Consecration to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I am His Son. I am under his leadership. Jesus Christ died for my sins. I'm under the blood and his covering and his forgiveness and his grace. And the Holy Spirit is my counselor. And I am consecrated to all of the Godhead as they guide me, lead me, teach me, instruct me in the way that I'm to go. Some people would say, well, who do I pray to? I get that question all the time. Who do I pray to? The Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. Just pray. Just pray. Because every part of the Godhead is beneficial to you. Jesus instructs his disciples, pray to God, it's your father. It's your father. Pray straight to him, but know that we have access to the father through Jesus Christ. So when you're battling with condemnation, you feel like you're unworthy. Remember he died on the cross and he bears on his hands the marks for your sins and he intercedes day and night so that you can have access to the holy of holy. Isn't that good news today? Amen. But when you're feeling confused, don't know where to go. Say, Holy Spirit, I need your wisdom. The Bible says he will be our wonderful counselor, our counselor, right? And when you feel like, and you feel like you're nobody, again, when you feel like uh, there's no purpose, remember you belong to your father, and he's a good, good father. That's, I love that song, don't you? That's who he is. And you, I want you to hear this. This is simple, but some of us need to live it. You are loved by him. That has to be a reality. So it's a consecration. Consequently, when we talk about consecration, when you look at the Bible, the word consecration is a very serious thing. There's a time where there's a, a wicked king of Babylon who takes cups that are cups that were supposed to be used for holy purposes to honor God, and he took these cups, and he used them so that he can enjoy his debauchery or live in his sin and have pleasure with his guests. The Bible says that a divine hand came out and wrote on the wall, Mene Mene Tecalufarsi. And it was a declaration of judgment and God taking the kingdom from him and taking his life. And let me just say this. When you look at the Bible, when it speaks of consecration, it's a very serious deal. So when we come to God and we say, God, our lives are consecrated to you, it's a very serious deal. Are you with me? It's not a matter of condemnation. It's a matter of covenant where we belong to God, and he's a jealous God. Not a jealousy that's evil, but a jealousy that says, I fight for you. You belong to me, and I belong to you. And I will not share you with the world. Consecration. It says, teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you. So then a part of discipleship here is being baptized, consecrated for the purpose of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to obey the Lord and His commands. Jesus said in another portion of Scripture, If you love me, you will obey my commands. There is no loving God and not obeying the commands. And, you know, we really feel uncomfortable with that because that sounds to us like, well, He's only going to love us if we do what He tells us, and we don't like that because that doesn't sound like, like pure love. But can I say this we don't know what's good for us James chapter 1 verse 25 says looking intently into the perfect law that gives freedom you see the command and the, and the laws of God they don't enslave us they give us freedom they give us total freedom and let's let's just let's pull back where is an example of that let's talk about pornography how many men have you know said, "Hey, nobody's looking, nobody's or and women, nobody's looking, nobody's watching," and they said, "This is my right," and they go into the world of pornography and they start watching, and all of a sudden they can't stop. We can say that about so every other sin. We have this statement in America: "I do whatever I want. I'm my own god. I do whatever I please." But sooner or later, whatever you do that you desire to do becomes what's taken over you. And all of a sudden, you don't have freedom anymore. And you're saying, I don't know how to get out of this. So let me just say to you, rebellion is not freedom. Rebellion is slavery. Yet the command of Jesus are not burdensome. Instead, they give us freedom so that we can live and have life in abundance. Remember, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And so you can, you can have a salary or you can have minimum wage. But sin still pays you death. Slowly but surely, or very quick. Depends on your profession. Are you with me? But the laws of Jesus bring life. Commands of God bring life. So Jesus tells his disciples, making disciples is you going out there, instructing them to do my will, to obey my commands. By the way, listen to this. You should not be entertaining. Counsel, supposed wisdom, preachers who rationalize, justify sin, or come against the teachings of Jesus. If Jesus didn't teach it, if it's not in the Bible, and somebody's not instructing you how to practically live a holy, separated, consecrated life for God, don't believe that preacher. That preacher's not preaching the Word of God. That preacher's preaching whatever makes you comfortable and whatever tickles your ear. I don't care what the stance is. Right. If it doesn't line up to the Word of God, it's not confirmed what Jesus taught. It's not the Word of God, no matter what title that person may carry. Now, what does all this mean to us? Jesus then concludes with his disciples, This is all authority in heaven is given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you to the end of the earth. That promise is to those who are about making disciples. I am with you even until the ends of the earth. And by the way, Jesus being with us with all his authority means that Jesus manifests through us with his authority, means that there's power as we do his kingdom. If the disciples needed the power of his Holy Spirit to make disciples, then we need it today. We don't depend on our own means to make... This is not an intellectual ascent to who God is. This is the Holy Spirit living in us, impacting the lives of others so that they can go from death to life. Are you with me? So yes, Jesus being with us until the ends of the earth is him saying, big brother's with you, and all of my power is available to you as you do my work. As you do my work. That's key. What does that mean to us? What does all that mean to us? Because if I finish the sermon right there, then this sermon is dead. What does it mean in regards to now me living the Great Commission as a lifestyle? Doing the Great Commission as a lifestyle. Well, it means this. We are to live consecrated lives. For disciples of Jesus, we need to understand today. Discipleship is this. We don't belong for the purposes of this world. We've dropped the nets of the world. When he said, follow me, we've decided to follow after him. And so we turn to the Holy Spirit and says, Jesus... Our lives belong to you. Holy Spirit, is there anything in me that is not of you that you want to take away from me? Because I want to live consecrated. You know, a lot of people ask me that question. Pastor, what do I need to get rid of to to serve the Lord? And I say, hold up. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Tell you what the Word says, and then you pray about it. And you'd be surprised. A week later, I visit their home, and exactly what I knew they needed to deal with, the Holy Spirit took care of by himself. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. It, it it would be a terrible thing if I as a pastor told you everything without really instructing you how to listen to the Holy Spirit for yourself. I failed, right? We felt that way. So number one... Pray to the Lord, God, I want to live a consecrated life. Is there anything in me that needs to get, I need to get rid of? Is there anything I'm watching I need to get rid of? Is there a relationship, God, that's affecting me? Not that we are supposed to get rid of uh, people in our lives who don't know Jesus, but is there a relationship speaking too much into my heart that is derailing me from living for you? Are we living consecrated to Him? Second, if we're living consecrated to Him, we should be mindful that we should be growing in obedience. The Bible says Jesus learned uh, obedience through the things that he suffered. And obedience, my friends, let me tell you, it's a difficult thing sometimes. There are some times where Jesus calls me to pick up my cross and it doesn't feel good. You know, I don't wake up in the morning saying, yay, a fresh bowl of suffering for me. Right? No, no, nobody does that. If you you do that, let's pray for you. You need deliverance. But, (laughs) you know, I mean, nobody's excited about that. But we are excited about what suffering can do. And what suffering can do is become a vehicle to lead us to this place of intimacy where we know Jesus in his death. Then leads us to this place where we know him in his resurrection power. Are you with me? And there's that's one thing only suffering can do. All right. You're still here. It means that I should be growing in obedience, and that's going to be a difficult thing sometimes. Simple to understand, but difficult. The grace of God teaches us to live holy lives, to say no to sin. And that's a fight. So if you're here today and you feel like, man, God must not be with me because I struggle with sin every day. It's like, no, God is with you. Keep struggling. Keep fighting. Keep saying no. Keep running from sin. Keep, keep taking the exit, the way out. Amen. He's provided for you. And he will strengthen you from glory to glory. It also means this, not only consecrated and growing in obedience, but it means this big thing. This is the big deal. You ready? You and I need to be intentional about looking for opportunities to make disciples. And you need to do that homework. What does that look like for Mary? What does that look like for Angelica? What does that look like for Jared and Rita, Nina? Nina? Glenda, Jesus says to his disciples as he's about to leave, go and make disciples of all the nations. Invest yourself in loving people, even people that don't look anything like you. Even people who you're not comfortable with. Go learn their culture if you have to. Learn their language. So I I want us to just think in our context, what does that mean for us? If I were to intentionally live my life to make a disciple, what does that mean in the way that I treat my children and the time I spent with my own children at home? God forbid I make disciples outside of my home and my children don't know Jesus. Right? But what does that mean for my neighbor, for my city? How am I intentionally planning, strategically, thinking about connecting with someone So that I can be a blessing and share the good news. Some of y'all are great bakes. I'm gonna give you some ideas. Some of y'all can cook. There's a neighbor that just needs to be welcomed and loved, and you can make a meal for them. Just, hey, just wanna get to know you. Begin to build a relationship so that you can share the good news. Some of you are students. And you'll find another student who don't know Jesus. Maybe you can begin to pray and intentionally think about ways that you can connect with them, listen to them, build a relationship so that you can have an open door so that one day you can witness to them. How about in your workplace? What does that look like with your coworkers? What are you doing? How, what are you thinking about? Jesus obviously wants us as disciples to prioritize making disciples. And I'm going to tell you something. It seems to me that when I talk to the church about making disciples, we feel guilty because we feel like we're failing. And I'm going to tell you why we're failing if we are failing. It's because we're not intentional about it. We're just thinking, "Oh, maybe somehow some way a sinner who wants Jesus right now will drop in front of me." It's almost like having faith in the big bang theory. There was nothing, 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 something. I mean, really, we need to be intentional, and we need to be patient. You know, none of this. How are you? My name's is Carlos. Let me tell you about how you're going to go to hell if you don't receive Jesus. Whoa, hold on, sucker! You don't talk to me like that. You need to be in, be relational. Take your time. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Love them. Hear from them. Is the God that lives in you greater than Him, the one that lives in the world? Amen. So why are you intimidated of darkness? When your light can change that dark reality. So here's your homework. I want the Lord to wake you in the middle of the night if you forget. How are you intentionally living your life to make disciples? What are the relationships around you that you can begin to make investments in? What are some relationships you need to begin to build? What are some places that they're just ready? How are you intentionally thinking about making disciples? And then I want I want to close with this, and I want to thank you for the time, the extra time that you've given me today. As you make disciples, if the usher can help, if ushers can help me with the pulpit, as you make disciples, Jesus said to his disciples, "I lived with you for three and a half years. You had the best of me. You had all of me. Go take everything that I've given you." and go and make disciples, and I am with you unto the ends of the earth, declaring to them my authority, my power, my presence will be with you as you make disciples. As you engage in this disciple-making, as you engage in being intentional, I want to I tell you something that Jesus promises. Not that I promise, Jesus promises. He promises to be with you in power and in glory, to be present. Are you expecting the presence of God to be alive in you on a daily basis? Are you expecting the presence of God, the very Holy Spirit, to put words in your mouth when you don't know what to say? You should. You should be expecting the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, to do something in you so unique, so on time, that just a simple word can change can change things in the atmosphere. My life was changed radically by the love of God. And it was portrayed by another high school student who simply said, God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. A lot of people say, that doesn't work. You shouldn't say that to people because they're sinners and they're on their way to hell. Don't tell them that they're loved. Well, here I am. Lost and confused. Entertaining alcoholism. There I was, and the student simply said, he loves you. has a wonderful plan for your life. I didn't hear, go live in your sin. I heard, man, he loves me. I need to stop sinning. My life needs to change. Are you trusting that the power of the Holy Spirit is in you to make disciples? Awaken to the giant that you are. Awaken to the person that lives in you. Awaken to Jesus wanting to manifest through you for his glory. Amen. Would you stand with me today? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The church, the church is is not a building. We praise God for this campus. We praise God for the things that we discuss in this campus. We thank God for the way God uses this uh, for us to get together and to and to, and to grow together and to encourage each other. And that's vital. That is vital. Listen, that's important. But the church is a movement of people fueled by the presence of Jesus, intentionally reaching out to, lost, to the lost, fulfilling His purpose in this world. That's who you are. You're not just a part of a membership. You're a part of a revolution, calling people from darkness to light, from from brokenness to wholeness in Christ. From Ichabod, the glory of God is departed, to Emmanuel, God with us. It's a movement. How is that movement being manifest in your workplace, in your school, in your life right now? Would you pray with me right now? Lord, we want to make disciples. We want to be intentional lord deal with us from the inside out that we would be about your business be about your work maybe you're here today and even as we're sharing this word you realize there are areas in your life that need to be consecrated to god there are certain things in your life that are not consecrated certain things that you're saying you know what i need to let go of that and this part of the message speaks to me uh, I need to be consecrated for him. Today, I want to give him access to every closet, every drawer, every room of my heart. I no longer want to say have everything but this. I want to say have it all. I want to consecrate my life to him. That's you. Would you raise your hand right now where you're at? Amen. Amen. So many. Lord, look at our hands. Oh, as the old song would say, prepare us to be sanctuaries, pure and holy, tried and true. Oh, God, today we say we want to be consecrated. Forgive us. Holy Spirit, forgive us for quenching you, for grieving you, for choosing sin. Because when we sin, we choose sin instead of your presence. We repent today. Sanctify us. Make us holy. That we would be able to be used by the master Surgeon for His glory and for His honor. Hallelujah. 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 Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, this whole Great Commission thing has been a deal of guilt. I just feel so defeated in that area. And I I, I, I realize today that it, I just have to be intentional, take a step at a time and trust the Holy Spirit. And I make a commitment to be intentional. I make a commitment to think about what that looks like in my life. and uh, I just... I just make a commitment to take a step at a time and think about the Great Commission as a lifestyle for me and being intentional where I live. Would you raise your hand if that's you right where you're at? Right where you're at. Jesus, instruct us, God. We are your children. Your Bible says, if you need wisdom, ask, and he will give you generously that which you ask for. And so, Lord God, right now we ask, give us wisdom that we may do your great commission. We say more than that. Baptize us in your Holy Spirit that we will do your great commission. Fill us with power from on high that we will be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about. Being witnesses, Lord God. Fill us. Empower us. Fire us up. Make us intentional for you. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name amen listen maybe you're here and you you want us to partner with you and pray with you I'd like to welcome the altar workers at this time but you want us to partner and pray with you, you're saying I want someone to stand in the gap with me, today I make a commitment to live a consecrated life for God a consecrated life for the Lord, if that's you would you join me at the altar right now, join me at the altar right now say I I want to make a commitment a public confession today my life will be consecrated for Jesus let's come to the altar Let's pray. Let's pray. A great writer, Cahill, said there's one thing that you will not be able to do in heaven. You know what that thing is? You will not be able. You will not be able to make a disciple. You will not be able to witness. That's a privilege we get on this side of eternity. So maybe you're here and you're saying, I want someone to partner with me in this idea of being intentional about the Great Commission. Would you pray for me, Pastor? God, give me wisdom that I may be intentional about the Great Commission. And you want us to partner with you in prayer to come up to the altar. We love to pray with you. Amen. We love to pray with you. God bless you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Go and make disciples, but not in your strength, in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't make excuses for the Word. Don't make excuses for the Word. Just live the Word. And He is with you even until the end of the earth man. God bless you. Have a great week.